In February of 1993, a bomb ignited beneath the North Tower of the World Trade Center. The FBI investigation that followed was called Operation Trade Bomb. This series contains recreated scenes based on investigative reports, wiretaps, witness and suspect interviews, as well as testimony from later court proceedings that came from that investigation. The World Trade Center to me was the most beautiful structures I'd ever seen. Just imagine being in another society and looking at the majesty of the pyramids. I mean, we as people love greatness, great structure, great art, great everything. When I first saw it, maybe the first couple of floors were erected as it was going up. So I actually got to see almost from the beginning to the end of its construction. Each time I would be in front of it, I would look up and stand there and appreciate its majesty. The views were just magnificent and inspiring. You could see uptown, you could see across the harbor, you could see into Brooklyn, you could see over into New Jersey. And it was most particularly beautiful at night. It defined the skyline of New York City. My name is Timothy Lang. In 1993, I ran an equity trading desk. That week before, I hadn't been into the city that much, maybe one day. That Friday, in fact, the 26th, I had no plans to come into the city. And I got a call at around 10 o'clock from my partner, and he asked me to come in for a 12.30 meeting. And, you know, after the meeting was over, I'd be home. Got on the Garden State Parkway, got on the New Jersey Turnpike. I'm coming out of the Holland Tunnel, heading south to the Trade Center. As I came down and entered the ramp, there was a silver Taurus cut me off. The two of us pulled up into the red lot by the parking attendant booth, and the parking attendant was there, and he talked to the fellow that was in front of me. So I sat there a minute or two. And then I got out of the car, and I approached him, and I frightened him. He jumped. He thought I was going to challenge him on cutting me off. And all I wanted was to ask him what the parking attendant had said about the chances of getting a spot. So he said to me, something will open up in a few minutes. I guess people left around noon. I see a car leave. He enters and goes to the right. Now I parked behind a concrete wall. I had a load of paperwork in the back seat of my Toyota 4Runner. Uh, I had my coat back there. I reached back to grab the coat, reached back to get the papers, and then there was a crack.
I was lifted in the air, just like in the movies, thrown back from my car, and my body was completely compressed. Now imagine you're on a football field, you get slammed, and your air is knocked out of you. It was that, plus a lot more, because I was compressed over every part of my body and thrown hard. I felt something hit the back of my head, and that was the last thing I remember. My name is Corey Cuneo. I worked in Truck One in Manhattan. So ESU is the NYPD's version of a SWAT team. So we do the standard work that SWAT teams all across the country do with the weapons and the vests and the helmets. Uh, but we also do, we have a rescue component. We did the rescue type stuff. Just remember it being like any other week. I was assigned to patrol with uh, Detective Eddie Jurgens. He was actually my uh, training officer. We were in the 40s, and you know we're heading down the drive, and the job comes over as a um, generator fire smoke condition at the Trade Center. Division 1 1 to have on the 51st floor, heavy smoke. So 83rd floor, they have 60 to 65 people there. Pregnant woman's on the 44th floor. Okay, generator, smoky, diesel, could be quite messy. Eddie said, start out the bat truck from Staten Island. And I'm like, Ed, what's the bat truck? He goes, oh, that's the breathing apparatus truck from Staten Island. That's got all the spare Scott tanks for the rescue equipment. All of a sudden, that pedal went to the floor, the lights were on, the siren was on, and we were hauling. I woke up at some point, and I was completely disoriented. It was pitch black, and there was noise. I started to wonder where am I, and I realized I was in the Trade Center garage, and I thought the car next to me must have had a bomb in it. So I put my hand in front of my face and couldn't see my hand, and I thought I was blind. Now I play bagpipes. It's February 26th. We've been practicing the band, and we had a blind bagpiper. So the way the crazy mind works is that, wait a minute, now the band has two blind pipers. I reached down and did a physical inventory. I checked to see if I had legs, felt my legs, felt up my torso, my arms, felt my head, and the back of my head was filled with blood. I rolled over, tried to stand up, and I couldn't. I was too dizzy. So I began crawling in a direction, and all I could quickly feel were the rocks and the glass cutting through my knees and hands. I had no idea what direction to crawl in, of course. It's pitch black. I saw a faint light. I was now ecstatic. I wasn't blind. That faint light were the interior lights in my car. So I crawled to the car... Now, at this time, I'm coughing because the, the smoke and the soot 
a few feet off the ground is thick and painful and hot. It, it's got a chemical taste that's disgusting. I sit in the car and have the crazy idea I'll drive out of here. But the roof of the car is bent against my head. It collapsed. And the front hood of the car looks like it hit a tree. So the explosion basically crunched the car. I head towards the office thinking I'll pick up a phone and call for help if I can find a phone. And I crawled over cinder blocks. I immediately fell over a chair and fell on a person that in the darkness felt like a woman. And now I realize I'm in big, big trouble because I sense the person's dead and I began to hyperventilate and my adrenaline is pumping and I'm breathing in poison. We parked on West Street. Smoke is pouring out of the garage doors into the old Vista Hotel. I'm a little nervous because I'm the relatively new guy, and I ask Ed, Ed, what are we doing? What are we bringing? He says, well, first, let's get our Scott packs on. Firemen generally wear them. They have the tank on the back, the harness, and then the big mask on the front so that you can uh, breathe in a smoke condition. Checked him. Eddie checks mine, make sure you're okay. He checks his, and he was a little bit lower than he should have been on air, according to the gauge. I said, what do you want to do? He said, no, we're going. He said, grab the Halligan, which is a, like a big sledgehammer type thing. He's grabbed the Halligan. At that point, a guy came running up to a support authority uh, worker, and he said, look, there's a guy trapped on the B2 level. He said, I don't know what it is, but I can hear him screaming for help. You guys got to go get him. He just pointed us to the door, and then we started heading down from there. You know, once we worked our way down those steps to that level, then we realized this is a whole different ball game than what we were thinking. I go in a direction and I crawl to the edge of the pit. So if things were bad where I was before, this pit is spewing out stuff from the bottom of hell. And I could feel the heat on my face, I get out of there. I immediately crawl as far away from the pit as I can. And I lay down by a car and I start to pray. And I realize if I'm going to be stuck here much longer, I'm just going to die. And now I, <clears throat> I pray in such a way to ask the Lord to give me courage to die. I tell the Lord if I'm going to live, um, I want to always live in the truth and live to serve him. But my life is in his hands. I keep a calendar of biblical sayings. I ripped the page out that morning, and it was Genesis. And while I laid there, that biblical saying kept going through my head. Genesis, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will be with you always and protect you until I have given you all I have promised. It almost was a celebration of death around me. But as I prayed, I became totally calm. I mean, more calm than I'd ever been in my entire life. 
to realize that I'm going to live or die and it's not my choice, it's the Lord's, was freeing. We're going to check the latest now with Ren Scott, who is on the scene to give us an update as to where we're at right now. Ren? Firefighters are down there looking through the rubble, looking through the automobiles, looking through all the wreckage, and I can tell you if there are people trapped down there, uh, it is very unlikely that anybody survived that blast. It is, uh, it is something like you've never seen. I'm like, Ed, this is bad. And we didn't bring a rope that we could tie off and tie on to follow back like uh, Hansel and Gretel. He says, look, he says, I'm going to take the fire uh, hose out of the cabinet. So I'll hold the fire hose. You slide the Halligan tool in front of us. Make sure we don't walk into a hole. I'm going to hold your waist. And we'll walk out. Just listen to the guy's voice and let's try to get to him. So we're yelling at him, you know, keep yelling because we're navigating by sound. There was no, I mean, even with the big, huge portal light, you couldn't see, you couldn't see six inches in front of you. It was, it was that bad. I thought we were getting pretty close and all of a sudden, Eddie jerks me to a stop. I'm like, what's up? He said, the, the fire hose ran out. He says, what do you think? I said, I don't know, man. He sounds like he's 10 feet in front of us. I says, we'll just go out. We'll grab him. We'll do a 180. We'll come back to the same place we started. He's like, all right, I'm going to drop the hose. So as I'm laying there, I feel myself beginning to kind of fall asleep. And I think, well, if I fall asleep, I'm going to fall asleep for good and then just waited and drifted. And then I heard this massive banging. I hear a voice call out. So I yell out, parking level red by the lights. And as soon as I yelled, my chest exploded in pain. And then I yelled one more time and couldn't speak anymore. Too much time goes by, I think they can't find me. Just imagine it's just all particles and darkness. And I look up and there's this massive light shining on a boot. The guy had to shine the light on his boot to find his way because the lights were useless in that smoke. So I reached out and I put my hand on his boot into the light and he screamed. I scared him. So next thing I know, these two guys lift me up, and if it was bad down here, up here on their shoulders, it was much worse, trying to breathe. And they walked me right into a wall, slammed my head, and broke my nose. They were lost. One of these guys starts screaming in panic. Sarge, Sarge, we lost the line. Eddie started yelling for Marty Garvey, you know, the sergeant. And his voice went up a couple of octaves, let's say. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, crap. If Eddie's getting nervous, then maybe I should start to get nervous. Okay. Procedure then is follow the wall. Sooner or later, it'll lead to some type of exit. Got to a stairwell, and I said, okay, great. Open the door, and it was just full of debris. 
Then I hear a guy, a guy yelling. Couldn't see anything, but he's yelling, ESU, come to the light. ESU, come to the light. And I'm like, who the hell is that? And he's like, I don't care, just go. We get to a couple feet away, and then it starts to brighten up a little bit. Six people were killed, 1,000 injured, and thousands more left terrified and confused in the chaos. My immediate reaction was that we had been attacked. They get me to the stairwell, they give me oxygen, I'm shaking, I'm in shock. They carry me upstairs and they kind of dump me on the side of the building. They ask me for ID, I hand the guy my wallet. And I sit there a little while and I'm looking up and I'm thinking I'm alive. The cold, it felt great. The air, when you can breathe clean, cold air after not being able to breathe, it felt wonderful. The snow falling on my face as I sat with a black face of soot propped against the building you know, waiting for an ambulance to come put me on a stretcher. I'll tell you, at that moment, my priorities in life went completely up in the air and landed differently. Now, I mentioned the guy in the Taurus. He got blown up the ramp. He died instantly. Seconds separated us. If I didn't get caught at a light, we would have switched places. How fragile life could be was on my mind. And the biggest part of it was, who are these people that tried to kill me? Just across the Hudson River from Manhattan, standing on the shoreline of Jersey City, a thin, dark-haired man watches black smoke rise from the World Trade Center. Over the next three years, this man would be called many things, but the name that would stick is Ramsey Youssef. Ramsey has just set off the largest improvised explosive device ever detonated on U.S. soil. He's disappointed that the towers did not fall. That night, at Kennedy Airport, Ramsey purchases a one-way ticket to Pakistan. His plan is to escape to the borderlands between Pakistan and Afghanistan. He waits for his flight watching TV news about the bombing. Thousands of injuries. The death toll is rising. People and groups called to claim responsibility after the explosion. He's angry when a newscaster reports a telephone call from a Serbian nationalist group claiming responsibility for the bomb. Someone claiming to be from the Serbian Liberation Front called police. So Ramsey makes his way to a payphone to call the NYPD tip line. 
He waits for a beep to ensure the call is recorded. Then he tells the world who is really responsible for the bombing. The Liberation Army, 5th Battalion. This is the Liberation Army. We conducted the explosion at the World Trade Center. I'm Mark Smerling, and you're listening to Operation Trade Bomb. My name is Zach Ibrahim. For the last 10 years, I've been sharing the story of my life, being raised by my father, I'll say, Nusair. And he says, I got a guy come in last week from a Brooklyn mosque. He said he wanted 50,000 rounds of AK-47 rounds. I says, how much? El Saeed Nusair, the Egyptian immigrant accused of killing militant rabbi Mayor Kahana. The chief of the detectives didn't want it to be an act of terrorism in the beginning. He said it was a crazy Arab killing a crazy Jew. I said, when did you become such a good Muslim? And he said, when I came to America and saw everything that was wrong with it. Stay tuned. Episode 2 is available right now. Operation Trade Bomb is an Apple original podcast produced by Truth Media in partnership with Brillstein Entertainment Partners. Zach Goldbaum is our senior producer. This episode of Operation Trade Bomb was produced by Kenny Kusiak, Alexa Burke, Michael May, Meher Ahmad, and Alessandro Santoro. Story editing is by me, Mark Smerling. John Liebman is our executive producer. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Bridget Busa is our associate producer. Sound design is by Kenny Kusiak with help from Alexa Burke and Alessandro Santoro. George Draping Hicks did the mix. Music by Kenny Kusiak. Our title track is Momentum by Kenny Kusiak. Production legal by Ryan Nord and Matthew Papa at the Nord Group. Legal review by Linda Steinman, Abigail Everdell, and Alison Cherie at Davis Wright Tremaine. Fact checking by Dania Suleiman. The production would like to thank Nuha Musla, Amr Latif, Ruhan Ahmed, Latisha Naidu, Ahmed Fateha, Hiba Afifi, Juan Bernardo Custodio, and Evan Pishan. Please listen and follow on Apple Podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to write a review.